Josh. We turned out okay. The Modern Parent's Guide to Old School Parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. have so many great things to say about today's guest. She's a contributing editor and a columnist on the Well Family page at the New York Times. She's currently on book leave, and I can't wait to get into that. She's written for Slate Magazine, Parenting Magazine, Parents Magazine, among many others. And I love this. She started her professional life as an attorney and a prosecutor, giving her an interesting perspective that I don't think we see very often. She's also one half of the hashtag AmWriting Duo, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, along with Jessica Leahy. And it's that that is a great podcast for stimulating creativity. And it's just such a blast. She is also a mom living in New Hampshire. And I'm super excited to welcome to the show KJ Delantonia. Welcome, KJ. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I am a regular listener. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. Gosh, what a compliment. <laughs> it's so fun. It's I, I try to make it that way. I think some some of the shows can be heavy, but we can still mm-hmm. look at it with a lighter attitude. I, is my that's my thought about about life. And yeah, no, I I really enjoy it. Oh gosh, that's so wonderful to hear. Um, I have always had a thing about initials as you, as a name, and I just think that's so cool. <laughs> I had to admit, I had to make myself cool, though. Oh, yeah. Like, I had to do it myself. Like, it's not like it just happened to me. I always grew up going, why well, do I want a cool nickname? Why don't people call me, you know, red or, or <laughs> I don't so, have red hair. So that could be why. Um, or, you know, yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know. Spike. Um, and it just never happened. So when I went to law school and, you know, there were 17 other Karens, that, that being my real first num- name, on the roster as there inevitably were during, uh, you know, with any group of people my age, I was like, that's it. I'm just, I'm just done with that. That is I'm going to awesome. be KJ. So I did not know that your, that your first name is Karen, which I think is very cool as well. And which is yours. Too, yeah, that's yeah. The, isn't it convenient that all these years ago I, I changed you it? You chose that, yeah. Otherwise, we'd be sitting here very confused. <laughs> it would be like, now, Karen, tell me about this. Um, <laughs> I always wanted a nickname. Always, always, always. And uh, my husband's name is Benjamin. We call him Ben. And I made darn sure that the boys have nicknames like one is Me maxwell That's but so funny isn't that funny but we call yeah, all Max. my kids have nickname names yeah 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 like they're they, i like that you've got a, a formal name right but then you've got a yeah. nickname i just <laughs> yeah no i think it's very important to be able to like make a lot of adjustments to your name although it is hard like I did that, and my parents, of course, still call me Karen, which is more than fine with me. Yes. Um, it'd be weird if they didn't, but it will be weird. I think a lot of kids sort of inevitably kind of redub themselves. So yeah. that, that must be a strange moment. Yeah, I've, for a parent. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. It's interesting, too, because I have an uncle that I've always called Uncle Robert, um, but his family doesn't call him Uncle Robert. In fact, we saw them over the summer, and his um, his son, my cousin, kept kept saying, "Well, Robert," because they call him Bob. Like his family and right. you know, all of his buddies call him Bob, and 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 he just was joking around, Uncle, you know, well, Robert, you know, let's can you pass the salt, Robert? And like, it was just <laughs> very silly. And then I have a friend from high school named Chrissy who isn't known as Chrissy anymore. She's known as Christine, and it's like, of wow, course. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, 
have lots of friends like that. Yeah, it really follows this idea that like people kind of choose their own, you know, their own name. And when I got married, um, I didn't take, I, well, I took my husband's name and I, in a way, I didn't regret it, but I love being Karen Locke Culp, like for the podcast or, you know, on, it started on Facebook, you know, how Facebook gives you your maiden yes. name. And um, because I just missed it. I missed being Karen Locke in some, in some kind of way. Uh, but what I did do was I started when I was Karen Culp, like I started calling myself K squared. So if I'm going to initial something, I initial it K squared. Oh, I like that. That's <laughs> so that's, that's my little like, well, ah. <laughs> this is actually kind of a good entree into one of my favorite topics, which is that we need to let our children change and evolve oh, as they grow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a name change probably represents a lot more, you know, to, to the Chrissy who's becoming Christine, that's like, well, you know, I want to have a more professional identity. I want to, you know, maybe I'm leaving behind the party girl, or maybe I'm leaving behind the girl who was always late. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you know I, but I'm I'm moving myself on and I don't think I mean I think it's a little unreasonable to expect your parents to change what they've called you for 18 years although yeah. I know some people that have but I do think that as parents we must be able to release our vision of that as you know the flaky kid yeah. or the kid who doesn't like to exercise yeah. or, or you know even, the kid just, who won't eat mushrooms yeah, i mean yeah. you you can really get blocked into these these sort of they're stupid but it can be i mean as as a former kid myself and yeah. arguably still a kid from my parents perspective i get really frustrated <laughs> yeah. when you know i go out you know like i'm sorry I run a mile every day. And they're like, but you don't run. We can't believe you run every day. Let's make a really big deal out of this for a really long time. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm in my 40s now. Yeah. Can we just let this go? Yeah, yeah. Right. I didn't like to run in grade school. But, but guess what? I've, I've changed. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, my, in my whatever birth family, my like growing up family, I, uh, became known as a person who couldn't tell directions, didn't know. Uh, and my mother always says, oh, well, here's why. Because you wanted to go to UMass for a party via UConn. Like you wanted to go to UConn via UMass. In other words, <gasps> drive two hours west to then drive another two hours south, basically. And I was like, no, I mean, that's I wanted to do that because that's where my friends were. It, you know, it wasn't so much that I didn't realize it was taking me three hours out of the way. It's just that that's what I wanted to do. So anyway, I've always had this kind of not good with driving, not good with directions, whatever. And which that hasn't been true I think maybe ever, but a couple of years ago, um, I, I drive, I still drive a Subaru Forester, but I, I, I had been driving the same Subaru Forester at that point for like 12 years. And, um, we were in, we met my parents in Gettysburg and, uh, we were just, we were all, we were camping with them basically, the kids and I, and we, we, they have a gigantic truck. So I drove us into Gettysburg, the town and, you know, it was my job to kind of find parking and whatever. And I found this beautiful parking space, um, which was like a block away or less than a block away from the place where we really wanted to go to eat. And I can remember pulling up next to it and just taking a deep breath. And my folks are like, oh my God, you're going to park there. You can't park there. What are you crazy? And like the whole time I'm parking the car, they're like, oh, ah! and, and I actually, I parked it beautifully. Like it was just the most, if you could imagine you just swerve back in right. and you pull like, forward yeah. and it's like, I nailed it. And they're like, they were speechless. <laughs> we're sitting in the car and they're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice job. Like, it's one thing to like compliment me on, on my ability to parallel park. Everyone appreciates that. But the, the fact that you had to sit here doubting that I could yeah. do it at all. They were like, because oh. I probably couldn't do it at age six. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I and mean, I do, to be fair, you know, I have, <laughs> I hit the top of the, at the rock at the top of our driveway when I was trying to back out one time when I was like 16. Yeah. And, you know, I've had, I've had a couple of doozies, but, um, but I was like, I'm so happy I can just nail this. Well, <laughs> I felt as very a good. Parent, I'm just really try at least to be aware of the need not to sort of. I mean, those labels can be funny. I mean, some of the time that you're just you're just goofing. Like, you know, it is one of, one of my kids is is spilly. You know, he mm-hmm. he really he's if if anybody's going to spill something or, or drop the entire glass bottle of milk as he actually did yesterday, oh. um, it's going to be him, poor kid. But yeah. You know, I really tried to keep from like, you know, I don't know. Maybe I really hope that... that when he's 35, I'm yeah. not still moving his cup out of his way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, sometimes it's hard not to have that expectation as well, you know, because then it's like you become the kid who that's, that's, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, and some know. of it is so, you know, some of the things that our kids do that we kind of brand them with that we can look back on our own history. Those are like. Those are brain things. Yeah. I mean, you know, our, our frontal cortexes don't evolve until past, you know, adolescence or, and to, you know, to sort of brand somebody with, oh, you'd forget your head if it weren't attached, which uh, my father still says to me, yeah. um, <laughs> is, you know, it's a little unfair at age 10 when there's just sort of a lot of development and things are going on. Yeah. Yeah. Things that still have to things that still yeah. have to happen. So I, I definitely want to talk more about like child development and, and that kind of stuff. But I, um, I love to start out by talking about like where you, how you got your start. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is um, that you, you started out as an attorney. And like, I'm, I'm, I, I, I almost kind of want to go back further. Like where you live in New Hampshire now, you went to college in Kansas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, where are you from? And are you, you know, Texas, you're from Texas. No way. Yeah, that is so cool. So, how did you end up in Kansas? See, there should be a lot of cool nicknames in that. Yeah, right, right. right. KJ from Texas. All Texans ought to have. Actually, you know, if you want like a, a double-barreled name, everybody had those when I was growing up. But oh. I didn't really want to be Kearney Joe for the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I getcha. <laughs> I getcha. Um, and I mean, you know, was it rural? Was it no. uh, urban? Mm-hmm. It was you know, city, city girl. No, I grew up, well, suburbs. Suburbs. All, you know, I, I would had a very typical suburban childhood. Uh-huh. Um, just, you know, cool. started out in Dallas, moved to San Antonio, moved to Kansas City, moved to Can- Wichita, Kansas, went to high school there, went to college in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, very Midwestern, very just, you know, uh, in my view, ordinary, although now that I live in New England, that. There maybe isn't many people, yeah what's ordinary here isn't necessarily kind ordinary of, there right? yeah, um, yeah yeah and then from kansas state university i went on to law school and practiced law i had six jobs in as many years it wasn't really my special gift <laughs> how did you end up like what, what what why did you make that choice i guess if i can ask you know like are you, sure. to me, you you don't you strike me as such a creative and i feel like law is not that well i mean maybe it is i don't know i've never studied law if you 
you know, if you grow up in a very practical place as a good writer and an argumentative person, I think you're probably almost bound to have people spend your entire youth saying, you should be a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, you know, not realizing that actually the skills that would be really fantastic for being a lawyer would be um, keeping your mouth shut and Xeroxing. <laughs> that's what that's what being an attorney means when you're when you're starting yes. out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, eventually, if you can sort of do that for many, many, but I think the skills required in doing that for many, many years are very different. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what I wanted to go with, do with my life after college, other than not wanting to be an accountant, which was a pretty common thing that people that went to my college <laughs> did. Um, oh, okay. I thought, <laughs> sorry, I thought, I thought they were all like, oh, God, not accountancy, anything but that. <laughs> <laughs> no, oddly enough, I had a lot of things. Well, it was a very practical life. It was a very, yeah. what are you going to do to support yourself? I mean, I think, you know, you, you grow up in the Midwest, you go to the Midwestern State College, and I, th- I, and I believe in all of that. I, I'm actually, I, I'm not downgrading it in any way, shape, or form. It, it's very much, okay, you know, here you are, you're going to be an adult, and, and how are you going to support yourself? How are you going to support your family? How mm-hmm. are you going to have, you know, a happy, pleasant life? Um, but, yeah. you know, things are different now. We, we don't necessarily invite our kids to have a happy, pleasant life. We don't see it in the same way, I think. Or, or in New England, we don't. And in California, I think people don't. And a lot of people, cities, people don't. Um, I think in some ways it's probably not that different in the Midwest. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I think places are a lot more similar than we're led to believe. You know, mm-hmm. um, everybody here is not, if you're a fan of the Patriot, it doesn't mean that you're like a member of the card carrying member of the evil empire or something. It's, it's just, it's <laughs> part of life. I mean, <laughs> um, and, but I think it's so interesting that it, it has changed a little bit. You, you just said, you know, um, that we don't necessarily say, oh, I want my, we don't, we don't have the same expectations for our kids. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit. And, and well, I think some of it is that they, you know, a law degree is not a ticket to the uh, middle-class security anymore, nor is a medical degree even, or mm-hmm. a dental degree. Or I, so there's, some of it is certainly this sense that we don't know what's coming next and it's harder to push your kid in a particular direction when when you don't, you know, you're just not sure. You don't know how that's going to turn out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think my husband has one of the last pensions in the country, for example. Could and, be. And um, I mean, we're we're every day we're like, wow, you you have a pension. That's amazing. <laughs> how many people do? <laughs> um, and and so there's not the same kind of stability. And right. and so if you like, you know, when we were going into college, because I'm probably about the same age, named Karen, I'm probably about the same age. There was definitely a a spate of that, you know, around when when we were born. But like, it was this really clear path, you you know, you, you keep your head kind of involved in your schoolwork, and you and you do really well, and you get the job and you support your family and you're happy. And that's, it's not I mean, in some ways, I actually think that it's cool, because it provides kids an opportunity to kind of look around them and go, okay, well, what is, what is my, you know, what do I want to do? What is interesting to me? And I think that's a neat, um, that's a neat way. And in in fact, I suspect that going from being a lawyer to being a, uh, you know, a a freelance writer and, um, and working for the New York times, I bet there was some version of what do I want to do? Is that, did that happen to you? <laughs> Did that happen I, with you? I, I actually really always wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. I was a writer in school. I, you know, I, I was on the, I actually was a, a columnist for my college newspaper for two and a half years. Awesome. Um, 
you know, a, a controversial, argumentative um, opinion opinion columnist, and was known for it. That's awesome. But, That's my favorite kind of opinion columnist. But it, I, that was not a practical. Um, that was not viewed in my family or in my surroundings as a practical way to make a living. Now, being a journalist would have been fine, mm-hmm. but. Um, I'm actually, where I was, journalism school consisted of, you know, interviewing people, writing the lead and telling the story without yourself in it, which of course is not how journalism necessarily is done anymore Mm -hmm, either. mm -hmm. So I didn't see that as the right path either. So I think, I think, you know, a lot of us have these varied paths. It's funny because we actually sort of look at our kids and maybe expect them to march forwards in an organized and expected way. And yet, if you look back at your own past and that of your friends, you know, how many people took, you know, a gap year that was really teaching skiing or, yeah. you know, driving the bus on yeah. the ski resort or something like that. And we all thought that was great, but we doubt it for our own kids. We it's want like, them just. Yeah. It's like our own, nobody's stars life. Yeah. Exactly. Get, get those stars, get, you know, get your A's on your progress report or whatever. But nobody, nobody's life, not too many people that I know anyway, their life worked out with plan A, you know, yeah. it's like plan D. <laughs> now you're like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I remember yeah. I have this memory of, um, I used to love aerobics. I loved step aerobics, taking the class, you know, taking classes. And um, I first started with that in college. And I, um, I was one of those gym people who would actually like go to the gym not just mm-hmm. in January, but all the time. And um, I signed up, I, I started taking uh, classes through like a local community college. And it would always be, you know, in some gym somewhere, like a high school gym or something. And uh, I stopped going when I, I, I had to go on bed rest with my son. So with my first son. So I, you know, that, that pretty much put paid to any kind of exercising. But I was like, I'm going back, I'm going back. And when I went back, so he was probably three or four, maybe five months old, I went back. And um, it was a different teacher and she had no idea what she was doing. And I mean, after a couple of times, I can remember thinking, I could do this better than she's doing this. Like, why don't I just become an aerobics instructor? And so I did. Like, I took a class and mm-hmm. I um, I took, I got f- uh, certified through this, like, uh, you know, great kind of industry standard fitness company and it was like a half day exam and I had to wear like tight fitting clothing so that they could like there's a written but there's also like this so I'll never forget they were like prepare yourself because everybody's looking at like what are what is your body doing while you are you know you have to show that you know how to appropriately move without getting hurt or without injuring you can't ask somebody to do something that's going to injure them so we're going to analyze your body wow <laughs> for that it I was like that happened it was freaking scary but i did it and i can remember teaching my first class and saying to myself you're going to just get through this first class and then you will never have to teach your first class again <laughs> and and that's that's what happened and i went on to have i don't know i probably had a 10 11 year career as an aerobics and aerobics fitness and um yoga instructor. And I loved it. But I remember thinking, this would never anybody who knew me like growing up, they would never have said this is this is where you're going to end up. <laughs> right. You know, but it, it worked for me. Yeah. And now we're back to letting your kids evolve into whatever they're going to evolve into. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's I, I mean, think maybe we should dub it plan D parenting. <laughs> plan D parenting. I love it. I mean, when they're little, I wonder how can we, like, can we screw that up at all when they're small? Like by, 
is there any way of i don't know pigeonholing them or shuttling them towards the wrong thing or something that that could oh i think I think that's probably when we pigeonhole them uh-huh. or when we, you know, when we get started and especially if they're one of, and we all know not to be like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> one's the smart one and one's the athletic one and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if you have a little boy who's super active and all you're ever sort of offering him as activities are sports, mm-hmm. then you've 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 created a box without a perfectly reasonable box without ever realizing it but you know a little boy who's super active at three might at six be interested in a cartooning class yeah um you know they can surprise you yeah yeah and i you need to let them if it's possible see the whole universe of or of possibilities. Of possibilities, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if one, one of my favorite quotes, and I won't remember it exactly, from Siblings Without Rivalry, the great book by um, Faber and Maslow. <laughs> pull it off the shelf. I, I'm looking at it. That is a good book. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great book. And, and one of the things that they say is, if one kid is a genius at piano, you know, if that's how you think of your one kid, and you don't give the other kids an opportunity to play piano, like, what are you... What damage are you causing to both of them? Because maybe the kid who's a genius at piano would rather play hockey, you know? Right. And maybe the kid who isn't getting the chance to play piano might might really, you know, enjoy it and, and, and feel, feel great about it. Um, and that's, I feel like that's something, even though I know about this trap, it's still a trap that I used yes. to fall into. Uh, it's, I agree. It's pretty easy. <laughs> and it I try really to, is. yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I try to sort of, I think both of my kids would say this, that, that they've been able to, uh, you know, pretty much attempt anything that they've wanted to. And, and, you know, and that's good. Um, and, and choose for themselves. Uh, sometimes there's not enough money. I mean, yes. You know, if they both wanted to do, I can't think what, um, some kind of extensive music lesson. Uh, one of my kids is a self-taught guitarist and he's a fantastic guitarist, but he's never said, boy, I really want to study with, I don't know, uh, John Lennon or something, Paul McCartney, you know. Um, and if they both did that, then I would be like, how would we, what would that be like to pay for both of that? So maybe cost can be an issue, I guess. I think cost can definitely be an issue. And then there's just the question of what, I mean, you can only imagine what you can be to some extent. So if you, you know, spend your whole childhood at the hockey rink with your older siblings, as has been true of my kids, mm-hmm. then you're probably going to sort of naturally expect that you will play hockey as all of my kids do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as much as we sort of make an effort to make sure they know that there are other sports out there and other things out there, you, you, you also can't expose them to everything. And you certainly can't enroll them in everything because that's worse mm-hmm. than, or I don't know about worse, but yeah. it's pretty terrible. Well, so it's I mean, just, just this question of sort of keeping it open Yeah. and yeah. trying to hand them the list of the community rec center's activity and say, you know, let me just read this out loud because yeah. I, I have a kid who, who's the school is suddenly going to offer volleyball, which we live in a very small community. And there's a lot of things you, you know, even, I'm sorry, even if you're really interested in, I don't fencing I, or something. Yeah. Well, in lots of you, we can't, we can't fulfill that for you. Yeah. Like, you know, harp lessons are not going to be <laughs> available. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, lessons in, 
I don't know, it's a, 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 an obscure language. We're not going to be able to do that. It's yeah. just, it doesn't exist here. Yeah. And uh, I, basketball for small children doesn't exist here. Yeah. It just, you know, it's not here. How, so, how, how old are anyway, your kids Anyway, I was now? saying one of them wants to do volleyball. Um, and because the school sent around a thing about volleyball, and I don't know that it would have occurred to me if, to ask him if he wanted to do volleyball. Mm-hmm. But, just, but he'll get the so, chance. But he came up with it. How, how old are your kids now? 10, 11, 12, and 15. Okay, yeah. So they're minor, minor 12 and 16. So we've, you know, we've kind of been through the, the early childhood stuff and we're getting into th- complicated schedules and that sort of thing. I, by the way, was a, um, a, a rink rat when I was a kid because both of my younger brothers played hockey and my dad coached. And um, so I, I've spent a lot of time <laughs> hanging around hockey <laughs> rinks and I desperately wanted to play and I wasn't allowed um, because I was a girl. Oh, um, that's terrible. I did. I learned how to ice skate. My my parents were like, we, I mean, there was, there were no locker room facilities. I remember that was a really big deal. Um, there's a girl that I um, know because she's the youngest daughter in a family. There are four older brothers and they all played hockey and she darn well played hockey. Um, but she was probably five years younger than me. And I think that's why she, yeah. like, I was just ahead of it. And she was just, she was one of the first kids. Um you know, so that's becoming more and of a... Now here we are, and um, I just ordered sweatshirts for my daughter's whole... Well, I have two two daughters right now on the same hockey team. Mm-hmm. It just depends on... It goes by year. Yeah. And they're all going to a Boston Pride hockey game this weekend, awesome. which is the National Women's Hockey League, and I just ordered the whole team sweatshirts. Wow. So, that yeah, is so cool. Yeah, I know. So there, there's a life change. Yeah, so. yeah, and a, and a really good one. Definitely, I'm... you know... Even if you don't mean to gender peg your kids, I mean, first of all, the world does it. And secondly, I don't know, even when you don't mean to, I I think, you know, I probably would have been more likely to offer volleyball to my girls than my son. Yeah. Just because. It's still a sport, but it's just kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a, yeah, you associate it with, and you know, maybe we do and they don't. Because. No, he clearly doesn't. Yeah. They're doing that he would not play volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It doesn't occur to him that he would not wear his sister's hand-me-down pink sneakers. <laughs> Things just change. Yeah, I think that's so true. I love that. And it depends just, on where you are, too. Yes, yeah. And it makes me think of another one of my favorite books, um, the Peggy Orenstein book called Cinderella mm-hmm. Ate My Daughter. Such a, it's another such a great book. Yeah, yeah. Because like, it's so cool. It is actually directly above Cinder- Siblings Without Rivalry. Because I'm sitting in my office, <laughs> and because I write about parenting, the best books, all of the best books about yeah. parenting are... So how did you, um, I feel like I want this to go in two different directions. So first I'm going to ask you if, because you, you know, you've been, you were the, it was called the Motherload blog and you were the content editor and, and um, columnist. And um, I guess, I mean, I feel like I have so much I want to ask about this, but one of the things is um, how, how did you choose sort of parenting as your what you chose to write about you know like how did you get into parenting in particular well I'm as a writer I really like to write about the things I think my mission is to tell true stories and help other people tell stories Mm -hmm. Um, and that really means focusing on whatever's going on in my life and whatever's interesting me at that time. That's one of the reasons that I didn't think journalism school would suit me because I, while I love to write about a lot of different things, I don't love to write about things that I'm not particularly interested uh-huh. in. Yeah. Um, volleyball, for example, would not be a good topic for me <laughs> <laughs> since we're on volleyball as a topic. Yeah. Um, 
So I actually started out as a food writer because mm-hmm. I like food and I like cooking. And I was kind of going in that direction when we lived in New York uh, after I stopped being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to this small town in New England where um, it seemed like it was going to be a lot harder to write about restaurants. And, so, and actually, there's a lot of fantastic food about I I was wrong. I could have gone in that direction you if kept I going. wanted to. Yeah. And the other thing I had going on at the time was this kid. Um, and you know, I think every writer when they have a kid feels compelled to begin writing about that. But I found that I was less drawn to writing about my life with my kid and more drawn to like, well, how is everybody doing this, this thing that, you know, people have done for millennia and yet feels so very difficult. I was, I was, and still am fascinated by, by that and by things that, well, and food is much the same way. Like, we've always done it and we always will do it as a species and as individuals, and it's very important. But, you know, what do we think about it? Why, why do we do it differently? Why do we make the choices we make? That's, that's, I guess that's where I get, that's where I get interested. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, actually, I think that's a great, uh, like, association to have in my mind, because it's the institution of parenthood that Yes. That is endlessly fascinating and you can do it in a million different ways. And there isn't one way that works for everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's, you know, I, I like that. And I think, you know, other things that interest me are similarly, uh, you know, broad topics that each individual approaches narrowly. I am not a person of faith, but I'm fascinated by it. And I like, and I will, you know, I frequently write about it. Um, mm-hmm. there, I, I don't know. I, there probably, I could think of some other things that that fall into that category, yeah. but those are those are my the things that are sort of part of the human story tend to be. I mean, work is another yeah. as a broad topic, and then how how not not the job of being a volleyball coach, but you know how we come to it and how we do it and how we bring it into the rest of our lives. That's all. That's also interesting. To yeah, me. yeah. It's like I don't know if you've ever heard this expression where somebody will say, "Oh, that's a great book about blah blah blah," but it's really about life, or it's really about these right. other big expanded topics. And I, I feel like, uh, you know, in a small way, um, I want the podcast to be like that because we're ostensibly talking about parenthood, but there's so much that goes into that. That. Yes. That comes yeah. before it and will come after it. And I just think that's... And I can't tell you how many times over the years when I said, you know, that it was a, a daily column about this and people would say, how is there so much to write about? And I'd be like, dude, have you looked at how many pages there are dedicated to sports? Yeah. How big a part of sports is your life as compared to being, you know, raising your family? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm hoping you're going to put more weight on the family side of that <laughs> equation. I mean, yeah. you know, depending on who you are and what you do, but there's, I this wonder, is an endlessly broad topic. Yeah. And do you think people think that because they, they think, you know, oh, well, I was raised this way and that worked for me. So, you know, what other way is there? Do you think it's just an, an unexamined kind of factor? Well, I don't think we can call parenting unexamined anymore. That's for sure. But, <laughs> that's a good um, point. I don't know. I, I think it's gendered. Uh, mm. I think because it's always been done, there's a sense that there's no need to talk about how it's done. Yeah. Um, and then also, I mean, sports is a news generator. It's it's continually. Yeah. There's not a lot to, you know, there's not a lot to report on parenting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's it's, it's sports is a more 
things are always happening in the world of sport. Yes. You know, people getting traded or whatever. That's true. That's interesting. Winning or losing or. Yeah. 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 That, you, that kind of. Sorry, go ahead. There's not a whole lot of winning and losing in parenting. We might want to pretend there is, but there we, really we're isn't. Tr- we're trying to make it so everybody wins. That's the goal. <laughs> whatever that means to you. Um, did your work over at the Motherload blog kind of inform your parenting or did your parenting inform your work at the Motherload? Like, um, a little of both. I, I did used to joke that I, I could make a list of topics for the next week just by figuring out what I was worrying about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that still works pretty well. If I'm worrying about it, t- typically other parents of kids my age are worrying about it. Or if I, you know, go out and, and, meet up with friends that have younger kids, I can get an, a, a pretty, you know, good sense. You know of... what people are thinking about and, and worrying about. It. And we do sort of tend to do it all in tandem. So there would be some great things where I would decide to research something because one of my kids would going to go, was going through it, but maybe it would be a private thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would not write about my child's experience of whatever it is, because I've actually been pretty I don't really write about my own kids and my own family that much. Except in maybe the generic sense of... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I might have a kid that was going through, uh, let me pick something that has not been a problem for us, a picky eater. Mm-hmm. Say I had a picky eater and I really wanted to talk to people about like, you know, what can you do for your picky eater and, you know, what, how should you handle this and stuff like this, which is certainly a topic I've written about. Um, I can go out and talk to all these experts and inform what I do at home Without necessarily. So there's been that. And then once in a while, um, I had a kid break his leg. Actually, I had a kid break his leg twice. Oh, oh, man. And I wrote about one of the things, I I really love this piece. I wrote about just letting him be miserable and how important it was not to... Not to absorb. I mean, he was he was really. I mean, he broke his leg. He was yeah. unhappy. Yeah. And like you know, you really want. He was pretty young at the time. This was my oldest child, and you really want to fix it, and you can't fix it. Yeah. And barring that, you want them just to be happy anyway, and that's not reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't. It, like the the goal of always being happy. It depends on what happy means, I suppose. But if happy means like, wee, I've just gotten off a roller coaster and now I'm going to get on another one. You know, that's the, that's not the kind of happy that's going to well, work. Yeah. Or even, I mean, you can, you have to give somebody who's just broken their leg some period of time in which not to be any kind of happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not to feel like their unhappiness is causing you a problem because especially at eight, that should not be their problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like they should not feel like, oh, I'm dragging everybody down. No, no. Yes. Oh, you wow. get to just, you just go over there and lay on the couch yeah. and be sad. You know? <laughs> Hockey season yeah. is gone. You can't ski this year. You're going to have to use crutches on the snow for the rest of the, uh, you know, it, this, it, this blows. And yeah. you, my friend, can just sit there and wallow in that yeah. until you're personally ready to not wallow. You got to grieve a little bit, you know? Yes. You got to have to let them do that. You can't, um, yeah, you can't be trying to perk them out of it. So that was an example of something where I, you know, was happening to us, and I I wrote about it both in a personal and a larger sense. Yeah, yeah. I find that my writing ends up being a little bit more personal than, um, not that I intend necessarily. I feel like like the th- the mistakes that I've made, the things that I've learned, can be helpful, and I always get permission from the kids, um, right? To you know, to talk about like what what 
you know, whatever it is I'm going to talk about. Ever since my, uh, he's now 12, but he was like nine at the time. And I reshared a video that I had first shared on Facebook when he was like four. And it's about him. It, well, it is, it's a little clip of him. Um, do you remember, I don't know if you guys are Lord of the Rings fans, but there's a part in, in the movies and the books where Gandalf the wizard says, you shall not pass. And he's talking to this big Balrog monster thing. And uh, we recorded my little Jay doing that when he was, I don't know, four maybe. And I reshared it on Facebook. You know how they'll, it'll invite you. Facebook will invite yes, you to share a memory. Yeah. So I was like, Jamie, come here. Come look what I just shared. And he's like, mom, I can't believe. He's like, can you please not ever share that again? I'm like, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like it never occurred to me that he would be embarrassed or anything like that. And um, I try, I really try to take that into what I'm doing now. Cause kids, you know, they got feelings too. And we have to, we have to kind of remember that. So. Well, when I started at Motherload, my predecessor, Lisa Belkin, uh, gave me the advice that she had always used. She said, I never want anybody to be able to look up one of my kids by first and last name and find something I wrote about them. Mm-hmm. So and I'm kind of lucky in that I have four kids, so I can even say my daughter yeah. As long as I don't get too specific. And maybe you won't know which one it is. Yeah. And also my kids and I don't share the last name, same last name. Although you could certainly find me on you know, my wedding announcements online. And I'm sure. Yeah, not, I know. There's always like a way. It's these are untrackable things. Yeah. yeah. But a simple Google will not lead you to anything that would embarrass. Maybe one that I did pretty early in my career. Yeah. yeah other than that, a simple Google. And a Google on my children will not lead you to anything that I have done. Good. Yeah. That's... I think that's a really good good approach, a good way to look at it, because then they get their privacy too. So yeah. So I want to dig into the book that you're writing, um, that you're currently on book leave and writing. Um, so is is that all right? Can we do that a little? Yeah. Bit? Okay. Cool. Well, before we do, I, I wasn't sure if you were contractually obligated or whatever, but um, before we do dig into that, I want to share um, a note from today's sponsor. <laughs> Yay! So today's episode is brought to you by the Ninja Parenting Community. I have a story that I wanted to share, which is about my, when, when I did get permission from him to share this, when my oldest was, he's now 16, when he was in kindergarten, he was a discipline problem. Um, he, he would come home. I remember him coming home with like yellow cards and if, you know, he played soccer. So he knew that you get two yellow cards and you're ejected from the game. And he, he was disruptive at, at meeting time, which is really, that was his biggest discipline problem. But he also, he, he had trouble focusing. He was kind of he was a very, very unhappy kindergartner. And um, when I look back, he was a discipline problem, not because he was a bad kid, but the result was that he really thought of himself as a bad kid. And I felt so helpless and alone, even though I have got a master's degree in early childhood education. Like I'm the last person who should be feeling alone, you know, but then we fast forward 11 years and he's, he's, thriving you know he he he's following his passions he's learning to drive he's got lots of buddies he knows he's a good kid and I'm sharing this because if you are listening and you've got a kid who's causing trouble either at home or at school you know who's coming home with yellow cards if, if you feel helpless if you feel alone I help parents address this, these kind of behavioral challenges in the Ninja Parenting community. We've got live members-only calls. We've got classes to help you stay sane while raising kids. We've got forums where you can always ask questions and get advice and support. It's a great place to learn how to improve your child's behavior and get the support that you need. So go to weturnedoutok.com and click the Parenting Community Login tab, or just click the link in the show notes, in today's show notes. And now back to my conversation with KJ. So... 
Thanks, KJ, for letting me do that. <laughs> no problem. Um, can you, so you can talk about the book that you're working on. Yeah. Does it have, does it have a name yet or? So it, it has a subtitle. <laughs> <laughs> I keep changing the name name. Um, so I, it, it, it's, it's contracted as unnamed parenting project, but I don't think we're going to stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have the, the ring. The subtitle is, um, raising a family, having a life and loving almost every minute of it. Oh, wow. Um, I and I that. think of it as how to, ha- how to be a happy parent. Mm-hmm. Which might be the title. Is it How to Be a Happy Parent? Is it a happiness project kind of book? No, it's not a personal, it's not my journey to being a happier parent. In fact, I'm about to embark on writing the siblings chapter, and you can't come up with speaking of siblings without rivalry. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's any parent on the planet least quali- less qualified to write about happy <laughs> sibling relationships than me oh, at this no. moment. Two of my children are constantly, like, you know, we're beside ourselves. We have no idea what to do about them. They're poisoning our family life. This morning, um, they were fighting. We complete segue which is that uh we live in rural new hampshire and we uh our property includes a horse barn which we lease out but we also work at it every morning this morning these two children were fighting over sweeping the barn floor not like who would sweep the floor but the way they were sweeping it. oh my gosh you're not saying that you're sweeping your stuff in it no you're sweeping <laughs> it oh my yeah Anyway, oh, no. so they can fight over anything, and I am not qualified to write about happier sibling relationships, except <laughs> that I can talk to hundreds and have, you know, hundreds of other parents about how they're achieving, you know, what they do and what they do in my situation and, you know, what some solutions are and, and what some approaches are and hopefully help all of us to have happier sibling things. Mm-hmm. Then there are some topics that I feel like I'm a little more on top of, like I, um, cooking is not a Basically, what I did to figure out what to write about and how to be a happier parent is I just asked literally a couple of hundred people, okay, tell me your top three things that make you unhappy as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did a larger survey uh, using a survey company and working with a, a researcher at Fordham, um, and we asked a thousand people. Um, to tell us some more about those topics and also gave them the same open-ended question. What makes you least happy? Wow. Um, and, and then I picked my topics from there. So, so I can tell you that the one universal, the, the thing, so if you ask people for their top three, you're going to get sort of things that are more like mornings and screens and teenagers or something like uh-huh. that. But if you say, give me, name the one thing that makes you least happy, people say discipline. Huh. Discipline, 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 and then variations on discipline, enforcing all the rules, you know, getting kids to do the chores, uh, enforcing the rules around the internet, um, scolding them all the time. I have to spend nagging them like that. That's sort of the one universal. Oh my gosh. Not about universal, but it was, there was hands down flat out 100% the, the biggest answer. That is so interesting that you say that because I, um, We've been around now. We Turned Out Okay has been a podcast since May of 2015. And probably about six months in, I did an episode called Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics, which got then and still gets today like record downloads. People loved that episode. And like I did a couple really, but it was one was mindset. And and then so I went on to write um, 
I went on to write a book and the book was called Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics. And the subheading was key tools to handle every temper tantrum, keep your cool and enjoy life while raising your young child. (laughs) And like, because people were like, please tell me how to handle this day to day thing that is killing me. And um, I, I just think, and I think, I mean, that, you know, that the reason for the community is to help people with, again, those day-to-day things that people really, really, really struggle with. Um, and I struggle with too. I mean, like uh, Ben will sometimes say to me, my husband will sometimes say, like, I'll say, I'll send him a text and I will just say, Ben, these kids, yeah. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? And he'll be like, what would podcast Karen do? And I'll be like, hmm, <laughs> there's a difference between That's like, a good question. yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, and I, and I will Either if I'm standing in front of him, he'll say that and I'll say, okay, she would do this. And then I have to go do that thing. But sometimes it's really hard to, to with the follow through, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, it's so some of it is, you know, we hate trying to figure out what to do. And then some of it is that we hate doing it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I, I wish I could find the answer to whether that's always been true. Uh, I wonder. I mean, maybe it used to be, this is totally speculation, but maybe in the age of like spare the rod and spoil the child, there's this one universal thing everybody does. You smack your kid when they do something wrong. And so you have a go-to, you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Maybe it was easier then. I don't know. But one of the things that I've learned, because I have tried to research the history of what what worried parents in past eras and you know, you can't get back that far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm not entirely convinced that people were as different than we are now as we tend to think they were. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, it may be that nobody has ever liked, you know, this is harder on me than it is on you has always been true. Yeah, I, I, um, I every winter undertake a fairly close reading of my favorite Jane Austen novels. Um, and I just do it because I love them so very much. But what I've, what I've, I know they're so great. I get goosebumps. Um, what I love about them is they are a little window into, you know, admittedly one, one class of life, but what life was like for families in, you know, the end of the 1800s, early, early 1900s. No, sorry. End of the 1700s, early 1800s. Um, and it's fascinating because like whenever children come up, um, you know, somebody who we know in the in the in the text is like a a, comp- a complainer, a, a mom who just can't she can't get it together. She's got headaches all the time, and she's always sort of. And she'll say like, "I tried to give my sister in law a hint about how awful her children are, but she didn't take it." And it's like, <laughs> you're yeah. so right. I don't know. And I have I have. I, I was actually yelling at my husband last night because I was reading a book that misquoted a Jane Austen thing and it made me mad because I could see, I could, they didn't exactly misquote it, they just used it out of context. Yeah. I know these books really well, but I never thought about that. Secretly, Jane Austen must have really wanted to tell some relation of hers that her children were horrible. <laughs> yeah. And it comes out, I mean, there's, there's a character in Sense and Sensibility with a couple of kids who are just she she gives them free reign like there's no they're utterly spoiled and she never said you know Jane Austen never writes these children were spoiled but the way that everybody has to interact with these kids it's so clear that like their mother cannot say no to them and uh, they just run roughshod over everybody and um, you know there's a character in uh, the one I was just thinking of was from not Mansfield Park um, the one with Mary per per persuasion um, mm-hmm. her sister is like 
is is this sort of sickly, but she's not really sickly, and right. and she's she's very complaining about the way that other people uh, with their own kids or with the way that they handle her kids, um, who are of course you know somewhat angels. spoiled. Yeah, angels for angels for. Uh, and of course, Jane Austen didn't have kids, so this is this is her. And this, I I never put those things yeah. together, but you are absolutely right. Clearly, yeah. that is how she viewed. I think so. Yeah, and then yeah. and then I mean, they they come in not to get too geeky about it, but like one of my other favorite passages is um, there's a there's like an admiral, a retired rear admiral, and you know somebody who's not doesn't have kids of his own. Um, but somebody who's been around children and, and loves them. And, and there's a scene where uh, he's he's playing with, uh, Ma- I think the sister's name is Mary, with Mary's kids. And there's all these jokes about how he wants to pick them up and take them home in his pockets. And it's like this cute little, like the the little interactions that people had. That's what I, one of the things I love about the Jane Austen books is you get this sense of like how families really spent their days and their evenings and their lives together. And I just think that's so cool. I like that too. Some things are like universal. So, so, but anyway, back to, uh, back to our, our days. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned chores and our time is getting a little bit short. Um, I, I feel like homework and chores were two things I really wanted to, to address. Yeah. Um, Those maybe, were really high on the list. Yeah. Yeah. So like what, maybe we could spend the, the, the first couple of minutes talking about homework, um, and then move into chores. Would that be? Sure. Homework? So what about homework is, is, like, what do families think about homework? What What's the struggle? Um, so the interesting thing about homework is that most people in our sort of, um, in our income group, for, for lack of a better word, have this sense that there's more homework than there used to be, that our kids do more homework than we did, uh, that it's become more of this overwhelming part of life. Um, and what's really interesting about that, well, two things. First of all, homework hasn't increased for everyone, but it has increased in um, upper income schools and in schools in particular parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not a national problem by any means. And then the other thing is that a lot of research suggests that homework, the amount of homework on average that kids are given hasn't necessarily changed. Again, it's changed in upper income schools. But the thing that has really changed, the one sort of apples to apples comparison they can make is that from third grade, and down, yeah. there is more. Younger there and didn't younger used kids. to be any, yeah. and now there is some. Yeah. And yeah. the difference between none and some is the difference, for a lot of families, this is the difference between happy, peaceful, yeah. pleasant evenings, yeah. and oh my God, yeah. what happened to my child? What happened to my life? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that was exactly our experience with my oldest. He could not tolerate homework. I think he would have been fine. <laughs> no, yeah. maybe he would have been, I, he certainly would have been better. He would not have been, had the same kind of like physical health problems and stuff like that. But, but to your point, I uh, read an article um, about a woman in a teacher, a second grade teacher in Texas, actually, who uh, this year sent a letter home with her, with her students telling parents, we're not having a formal homework right. curriculum. I this saw year. this too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I, lo- I have goosebumps thinking about it. So, and, and she basically said, spend time doing the things that are proven to provide success. Get your kids to bed at a decent hour, eat dinner together as a family, play together, um, read together. Like, you know, those are the things that I want you to focus on with your, with your second grader this year. And, um, when I did a, I did a show on that. I mean, I got letters from people who were just, their kids, they're like little kids are in the most 
unbelievable homework situations. A seven-year-old girl who, if she misses three homework assignments in a row, she gets an after-school detention. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Isn't that insane? And that's in New Jersey. That's I mean, that's insane. not like in, I don't know, uh, uh, Japan or, you know, someplace. Right. That it was, it was, it's, it's stuff like that that's happening. And then even in, in our neck of the woods, you do hear about kids who um, not only do they have to do you know, a half hour of homework every night in the first or first grade or whatever. But as a family, the family has to log in, in addition mm-hmm. to that homework, and they have to do things online. And if they don't do those things, then then the child misses recess, kids miss recess. Um, right. I just, I, I just, I don't, my personal feeling is that it's just unconscionable to do this to kids. But I, how do you feel about it? like what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I am with you. I don't, I, I don't, believe in you know think homework at this young age is effective and I have done Mm. a lot a lot a lot of interviewing and talking to people around this topic and um, one of the things that I have found is that teachers can be surprisingly more flexible than you might expect and you know not all of them but uh, (laughs) there's a thing called the packet which is a pretty common um, early elementary school homework thing at, at the moment where you bring home the packet at the beginning of the week mm-hmm. and then at the end of the week you have to return the packet with all of the worksheets or whatever done. And mm-hmm. Almost by definition, the packet doesn't have anything to do with what they're learning in school because it's already been, it's pre-created yeah. and all the classes, if there are multiple classes, have the same. Yeah. And I've talked to, I mean, I've talked to parents who've gone in and said, you know, this is why the packet doesn't work for us. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's all word searches and, and uh, you know, I really don't. And, and had and had the teacher say, you know, the real goal of the packet is that it go home and come back. So just make sure it comes back. Yeah, yeah. And don't worry about doing it. Um, I've had parents talk to teachers and, you know, get sort of permission to only do it some of the time or... I, I, there's a lot of different ways of, of going in if with an open mind and advocating for your child around yeah. the question of what homework is right for your child in this situation. Then there's the sort of separate and larger question of what homework is right for the whole class. I've also interviewed at least one teacher who said, you know, honestly, I have to, I'm, I hate admitting this, but when I started teaching, I was 21 years old. I didn't have any kids. I did not realize. Mm-hmm. What I, you know, I yeah. did not realize what, that what was I was doing, <laughs> what I was doing to their weeknights. Yeah, kind of no. And I, we had the experience of having a child who really, uh, homework just made this child angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by angry, I mean, banshee, like remove the other children from the room tantrum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when we were went into the teacher and, uh, with a video tape. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or, you know, awesome. phone video. She said, look, that is not my goal. You know, and what we will do, and this was also a child, you could not keep this child in at recess. It just, that would have yeah, been a, would a health work. hazard. Yeah. Um, and she said, that is not my goal. So we, we just, we worked out various things. Sometimes she would not give that child the homework or some of the, sometimes um, this was a small school and we were just, we were really extraordinarily lucky. It was a wonderful teacher. She would actually, uh, sit after school with this child for a half an hour, not as a punishment, but it was like, that was her homework time. Mm-hmm. So she could get the thing 
done where it actually needed to be done. But and it, as long as it wasn't a family, in, in, the, in our case, the problem with the homework was having the family involved. She could do it okay with other people. Okay. So I think every, I mean, there are so many degrees of reasons that it, uh, homework is hard for you. It could be because uh, you work nights and the teacher is writing on the homework, you know, discuss the story of Johnny Appleside with a parent. Yeah. And so the child is unwilling to do it with her after school provider. Yeah. Um, it could be in that, in a, as in our situation, the homework had become this emotional battleground. Yeah. And yeah. it took the child 10 minutes once the emotions were removed from it. But that's so, an hour or something. Yeah, that's yeah, a longer time. You really have to observe your child and try to figure out what's, you know, is there really a problem and, and what is it? And, and then maybe go to the teacher with the observations. Yeah. And ask so, for yeah, that was going to be my, my next question is like, do you, what do you recommend for a parent to do? You know? I do think. Uh, well, that's what I recommend, really. Um, take some time, because one thing that is really true of homework, <clears throat> excuse me, is it might take your child a really long time the first time, and if you just let it go for two weeks, a couple of things might happen. The teacher might realize that all of the students are struggling mm -hmm. and give less. Mm -hmm. um, or your child might realize that they can do it fast. You know, like yeah. you, you got to kind of let it, you know, let the situation stretch. You, know, you got to watch it for yeah. a while, especially at the beginning of the school year. We're, mm -hmm. we're well into a school year now. Yes, but, that's true. Yeah, you got to spend some time with it. And then you go to the teacher with what you've, you know, with, with the empirical data about what's yeah. going on with your child. You know, she comes home, she sits down and, and, um, you know, within 10 minutes, she's crying. Or she comes home, she sits down, and, it's, and it takes her an hour and a half to, to read this. What can we do? Um, you know, what, can, what do you recommend that I do to help her? Or, or do you have any suggestions for me? I think, I think going in with a set of observations and a question is, like, the, the most sort of, we're both on the same side here, please help me, uh, figure out what to do kind of situation and mm -hmm. then see where it goes from there. Yeah, because there is, there can feel like such an adversarial relationship, especially I find if you're reading something like you, you only, a lot of times the parents just see what comes home in the backpack. So mm -hmm. they're like, do they really expect this? You know, and that's, that's not a, it's kind of not productive. I've certainly done it. I've ranted um, because I knew what was good, what was going to happen. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't advocate for my, my son in that way. Like I sort of, and maybe not in the in the earlier, like in first, you know, first grade or kindergarten. I really felt like the kindergarten teacher and the, especially the first grade teacher were not going to be amenable. They were, especially first grade, they were coping. Uh, she was coping with um, more than she could handle. And so my guy took a little bit of a backseat because he didn't, he didn't act up so much in school, but he just was, he completely lost his personality and stuff like that. So I, I, what I wish I had done was taken your advice and gone in and said, listen, this is what we're observing. How can we work together so that like I get my son back? <laughs> right. And it's not, I mean, I, when I say advocating for your child, it feels a little bit like you're you know, going in there with your banner waving. Yeah. But uh, most teachers are also advocating for your child. Um, you know, they, they want that to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are 
giving homework that is coming forced down on them from on high. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in a lot of different situations that, that we might be not be aware of, and they can be flexible in ways yeah. that we're not yeah. expecting either. I've had a number of parents tell me that what the teacher said was fine. Sit your child down with a timer, have them do what they can do in 10 minutes, and then have them stop. The goal is just to carry school home. The goal is not to torture either of yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty, that's a surprisingly common teacher's suggestion. Hmm, that's a neat one. Just spend the, te- you know, in 10, in first grade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. First grade. Yeah. Spend the 10 minutes. Um, yeah. You know, so, then you get into helping your child understand the need to work as opposed to twirl their pencil and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's yeah. not necessarily going to make it super easy, but a lot of teachers really will do what they can to help you. Yeah. Yeah. To help you help your kid. Yeah. And so to think of it as less of an adversarial relationship, you know, even if they have that reputation, because a lot of times teachers will get that reputation because they are, they are, uh, uh, I'm trying, I'm blanking. I was going to say hard ass, but that's not the word that I want. Like they're really, um, strict about the important stuff. And so, um, like I, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite teachers was my sixth grade teacher. And we went, when we were in fifth grade, we were hearing, we could hear her in the hall. She had this really loud, high pitched voice. And, and I remember being like, oh my God, I've got Miss Rosenthal. What will that mean? She was awesome. But I was terrified as were we all, um, because we didn't, you know, we, we only heard if you get in trouble with Miss Rosenthal, if you're, you know, for example, um, I one time let a kid copy off of a test of mine and he got in huge trouble and what she did with me was she she called me up to her desk and I was like this is it I'm I'm dead and she said to me you have got a great brain don't let anyone else use your brain and she Aww. sent me back to my seat I was like oh my god I mean how do you not love that person you know yeah. um yeah I mean I it, it it's the same like if you if you give into that and don't actually go to the person and, and try to talk to them, then you're, you know, you you might be losing something that's important. So. Well, and another thing, this is from interviewing a teacher and it's kind of funny. She said, you know, you're the parent and, and you go home and the, your kid opens the homework and you shriek, Oh my God, this is the stupidest thing. I can't believe you have to copy all these spelling words. This is the stupidest homework ever. Uh-huh. And your child comes back in and smiles at me and says, my mom said this was the stupidest homework ever. <laughs> Oh wow! Yep. And the younger they so, are, the more they'll repeat, right? That's like, <laughs> right. That's right. My yeah. mom said I didn't have to do it because it's the stupidest homework. You know, you told the kid to say, "Yeah, whatever. yeah." Don't say you know, that. Too busy. But no, yeah. my mom said I didn't have to do this because it's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, you I don't want that. that either. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, don't don't put yourself in an adversarial relationship Position. with the, the study. Yeah. You know, eventually, in some cases, people have to go further. They, they have to um, try to advocate for school-wide change with respect for homework. I have interviewed at least one family who has changed schools or gone to homeschooling in yeah. part because of homework policies that they just either, that they didn't feel like yeah, they, could they couldn't handle. change because they were so overwhelmed. But that's way extreme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, for us, it was homework was a part of it, but we did, we actually, we started homeschooling when my oldest was in the second grade and um, it was, it was so much more than that, but that was, that was definitely a, a significant part of it. Um, so it is now, <laughs> we've gone over by five minutes, the, the allotted hour, and we have not talked about chores yet. And I'm wondering if you've got a few extra minutes or if we need to schedule a part two or, you know, how. 
is up to you. I have extra minutes. I would or love that. can just spend an hour talking about chores at some point. <laughs> um, I No, I think, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, if people want to hear more about, about the chores, but I'd love to, I'd love to talk about this for a very specific reason. Um, I joined your mailing list, your email list, and you invited those of us on your email list to join a group um, that has to do with chores. And I would love for you to share that with my listeners, because I think a lot of them would want to get in on that. It's pretty cool. Okay, so I started something called the 12-week chore challenge. Mm -hmm. And the genesis for this is that when I reached out to my own community about chores, I found that a lot of people were in exactly the same position that we are in, which is that we have assigned to chores for many years. We have a rotating chore chart. We have been through all of the possible star charts, yeah, earning chips for doing your chores, extra allowance for chores, take away the allowance if you don't get your, we've done everything. And we've, for the most part, the chores don't really get done by the kids. They get done by me. Mm-hmm. And when, when I sat back and really looked at and, and interviewed parents and talked to experts about what it is that changes that, the answer, unfortunately, was not star charts mm-hmm. or anything <laughs> along the lines. The answer was me. I, as a parent, have to do that discipline thing that we hate to do so much. I have to actually expect it of my kids and require that they do it. It does not matter if I give them a star when when they do do it. It does not matter if I take away a dollar when they don't do it. Mm -hmm. What matters is that I make it happen. So the 12-week chore challenge is all about making it happen. Pick one chore, any chore. My child will empty the trash every morning before school. My Mm -hmm. child will clear her dish from the table every night after dinner. Every time my child comes home from school, he will hang his jacket on the hook and then spend 12 weeks actually making that happen, never cutting them any slack, never making it easy, never doing it yourself, which, I mean, you know, you don't have to be this harsh for your whole life, but (laughs) just, just get it established, make it an expectation. You need this piece of help and this is the way it's going to be. Um, and so for 12 weeks, a bunch of us are just, we've, we've declared our intent and we're, we're sticking with it. So I am on week two of children clean up after dinner. Um, and it's going okay. (laughs) Cool. Good. That's the thing. It's the consistency of the that is the thing. Yeah. I, that is where I've always failed before, and I think that's where most of us fail. After a month, we get tired of nagging. Yeah. yeah. And we just go, God, it would be so much easier to just load this dishwasher myself. And then we do. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you're lost. back at square, square one. So our kids, my boys do a lot, and they have done a lot for years. Um, we had our own kind of consistency in that I, I literally couldn't use my hands for a long, long time. I'm, I'm a little better now and I'm on a, on a good upward trajectory, but, um, the boys are now, I mean, they're 16 and 12, so we do have some expectations of them and they've been pretty well cleaning the whole kitchen for, I would say probably since maybe last spring. So maybe like nine, 10 months, something like that. And, um, the other night Ben walked into the kitchen and uh, the dishes were clean and or they were in the dishwasher. But the the counters were messy. The stove was a mess. The sink itself had like, you know, it was just not, it wasn't finished. There were crumbs in the sink, whatever. And my husband says right. to me, he picks up the sponge and he's like, 
I can't believe they didn't finish this. And I had just read your email. I was like, nope, you put that sponge down. <laughs> We're going to get those kids. So they had what they had to come off of whatever, you know, one of them was playing games with a friend on like on the computer. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I you, you got to do this now. And like, that's the thing is you're, you're materially digging into their time. So he's, he's grumping all the way up the stairs. And I was like, listen, do it right tomorrow night. And you, I won't have to get you up here tonight. Right. But and, if you don't get them, then you never get to do it right tomorrow yeah, night. Yeah. I mean, the, the families for whom this comes more naturally are the ones like yours, where there's, there's a parent a reason. who really needs the help. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can bet your boys probably wouldn't let you down yes. if your husband were out of town yeah. and you were in a bad spell. Yeah. Um, so, or, the you know, whether there's a single parent or... Um, so that's one kind, or maybe it's a, there's a family run business and there's an expectation that everyone will join in. Yeah. So, you know, needing the help is one way and just expecting it and expecting it to be done right is, is the more, the more palatable, you know, it's nicer for most of us. No yeah. one wants to actually really need the help. And do you feel like three months is a 12 week thing? Um, at the end of that three months, I mean, is, the, is there a, is there a reason for the three months? Yes. I was talking to um, a woman, uh, Debbie Gilboa, Dr. G, mm-hmm. She and she was just mentioning that chores are basically a habit mm-hmm. and that it takes three months to establish a habit and, you know, that it took three months to just get, to get it. And that's why I, I like to call it establishing the chores. It doesn't mean you're never going to have to remind them again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're never going to not do it again, but it should mean that, you know, that, that they're there, that if they leave the backpack on the floor and you holler, they're going to come back and know what they did wrong. Yeah. You know, that if they walk out of the kitchen and the, and the counters aren't wiped and you make them come back there, it's, you know, first of all, hopefully you'll be making them come back a lot less. And secondly, it's just not a surprise. They, you don't have to say it 452 times because this is the deal. And, yeah. you know, and after three months, I think we can feel like, okay, this is the deal. I feel like after three months, that's when you can probably wipe the counters for them once in a while. Yeah. Once in a while. Not all the time. <laughs> I am just on the second to last day of a thing called the Whole30, which is, it's a food mm-hmm. thing. I, I, um, I, I actually, I mean, like listeners have heard about this a little bit because I, I was, I recorded an episode just at the beginning of the year and I was like in my fifth day or something. And I was like, I do not know how I'm going to get through this. And I did. I mean, it was really tough at first, but um, it's basically, it's a, it's an experiment to see if there are any foods that are especially inflammatory for me, especially with my tendon condition, because it's all about inflammation. And um, I spent the first while just feeling like if I can just keep this up, if I can just get into a a groove, you know, like it's all new, but it's going to be okay. And now I'm sort of towards the end of it. And I'm, I'm finding that that's really true. Um, And it's, it's like, I feel like if I can do this with food, you know, I mean, we'll see how I've only been doing it for 30 days, not, not three months, but you know, if I can keep consistent with food, what else, what else could I keep, you know, like, so I'm wondering, is there, is there an aspect of that? Like, are you sort of hopeful that like, you'll start with this one chore you know, and your kids will sort of do kitchen cleanup and they'll get that habit established. And then you can say to them, okay, in addition to that, we're going to do another one or like, how do you? Yes. Well, we, I mean, we have a set series, you know, there there are set chores that you're supposed to do. There are the things you're supposed to do 
for yourself, like packing your lunch and cleaning up your cubby and keeping your room straightened and sort that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's feeding the animals. There, there's a variety of things. But I, I, I feel like we start with one, and then you get that one established. And, yeah, then you could add on another. Or in our case, we can just start, you know, uh, nagging for another or um, sort of enforcing another, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So I'm, I'm not – I'm focusing on the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Because you only have so much energy. You only have so much oomph yep. in you, necessarily. Yep. So for us, this is the one that I focus on. When when, when I feel really good about this one, and I, this may just wait till next September, we're going to focus on... Uh, I was thinking of the put your backpack in your cubby as a little kid chore, but no, it's not. My, <laughs> I am going to make, you know, I'm going to stand there for three months, and when you come from home from school, I'm going to say... Your shoes underneath the hook and the backpack on the hook mm-hmm. and the coat on the hook. Otherwise, I'm going to give you embarrassing videotaped hook usage lessons again, which I have done in the past. <laughs> I love it. I love for it. For now, I'm focusing on the kitchen. On the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a great, it's a great, it's a great thing. You get one habit established and then you move on to another, you know. That's the plan. Um, I guess I just want to ask this one, you know, one kind of question, which is, can parents, even with young kids, get into chores and participate in your project? Like, even if they're yes. really little. Yeah, so that, you know, put your put your uh, backpack on the hook or clear your dish from the table. One thing, I, there, there are sort of parents where the kids are always helpful because they're little and they're cute. And when they're little and they're cute, they want to help. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between, you know, they're little and they're cute and they want to help. But there's also establishing your family routine of we work together for these things that we do together, whatever yeah. those things might be for you. Yeah. So yeah, you, you know, you help me clean the bathroom because you want to, and the bubbles are funny. Um, but you also, you actually have to come in every week when I do it. And while I'm cleaning the bathroom, you are taking out the trash. That is your job. Yeah. That because, is just part of it. And when, um, when, interesting. To- we were talking the other day about, you know, what if you have like a two-year-old and a five-year-old? Mm-hmm. And you can have the expectation for the five-year-old, no, you do this every time. The two-year-old, that might not be a battle you want to fight, but then you've got the five-year-old going, wait, I have to. Yeah, uh, why so not? So you kind of have to juggle that. And I, it's, it's, I think it's perfectly fair to say because you are five and when she is yeah. five, she will empty the trash yeah. every time. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking about when my youngest was just starting to set the table and he would say, I feel like a slave you're making me sit at the table <laughs> yeah. and I feel like a slave. And we'd be like, we are all a family. We all help each other. We all work together. And this is the way that you're helping us tonight, you know? And so there was no, there wasn't, that wasn't a valid argument. Like we all do things for each other. And, um, uh, you know, that even might be a, when you don't want to do it, even when you don't want to chores. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That, I mean, that's why we call it chores and not happy, happy, fun, fun. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> yep. something. Happy, happy, fun, fun, toilet cleaning. <laughs> you have to do it whether you want to or not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you get older, you can look at your own kitchen and make a decision about how you want it to look. Yeah. But at this point, you live here and, and you have to contribute it to making it look the way that it looks in our family. Yeah, yeah, because we so, help each other. In that, and yeah, yeah when the, the smaller they are, the easier it is. But I still think you're in that tempting spot of, oh, but you know, she's only three, I'll just grab the, the cup for her. Um, and I, I feel like, you want to spend some period of time not doing that. Oh, I and that's agree. That's the only way to establish that you know they're in charge of taking away because you don't you don't want 
you don't want your kid to be the one that goes to somebody else's house and every child in that house picks up their dishes and knocks them over the sink and your child gets up and like walks away from the table. Yeah. And I have had guests like that. Yeah. You do not want that to be your kid. And I think it, I think it goes a little bit deeper. Like I'm remembering um, from my preschool days, I used to teach in a public preschool program and it was into, I worked in the integrated room. So I was the head teacher for the typical kids and my co-teacher was the head teacher of the special needs kids. And like, it was this really great environment. And one of the lessons that she taught me, the, my fellow teacher, whether you're, whether you're working with a special needs child or a typical child, like they need, um, uh, not limits, that's not the right word. Um, They need a consistent expectation. So if you let them wander out of the block area at cleanup time without cleaning anything up um, or or whatever the expectation is, then you're you're moving their... she used to, well, I, I've also heard it described as you're moving their walls. So everybody has these, this comfortable room inside of our heads. And when you say to your child one time, like, oh, I insist you're going to clean up these blocks. And then the next time you're like, eh, okay, you don't have to do it. I'll do it. You're moving their walls and nobody's comfortable when their walls are moving. People need yeah, like, a, you that's know, brilliant. yeah, I think it's so, um, such a good way to look at it. It's helped me with everything because it all comes down to, am I going to make them do it or am I going to do it myself? Like so much of right. life with little kids comes down to that. So, And it is it is easier to do it yourself. There's no protection. It's absolutely easier to do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, but it's important that they do some things for themselves. Yeah. And I will and, say this. Oh, you know, you're taking away from them when you, when when you, you do it for you. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're robbing them of their ability to do things for themselves yeah. when you just go oh, I'll just do it and I, I I just have to say this and I think I'm probably gonna we should we should wrap it up here I'll close out on this but um my there, if you do this consistently right there will come a day for you where you've got a giant stack of Christmas boxes that need to go behind the coats and the vacuum cleaner and the paper towel and the camping stuff in the closet under the stairs and you can say to your 12 year old this is your job I know you can do it. You got this. And then you get to hear him like he was making up songs and he's throwing stuff around and he gets it all back in there and he puts everything away and it was perfect. And he's like, there, I did it. And I mean, that's, I think the reason for that is because he, he's been raised in a way that like, you know, we've always kind of directed him to like, this is what we need you to do. This is the expectation. So he didn't even complain. He actually enjoyed it. So that's the goal. Yeah, that's that's totally the goal is to get to the point where you can expect that, that, you know, your kids will help you to the best of their ability to do the things that need to get done. Yeah. Yeah. And then every everybody's at that point, it's easier. Now you can say, I didn't have to do this. It's easier. (laughs) Yes. So that is all we've got time for today. Actually, KJ, I'm wondering if um, when the book comes out, if we could have you back on the show. I'd love to be back. I think that would be a blast. Um, I think that would be really, really cool. Uh, so I'm glad. I'm really, really glad about that. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for having me. It's really fun. And um, and listeners, you can connect with KJ at kjdelantonia.com. And that is where you can go to sign up to be part of the Chores Project. So KJ... When somebody goes there, I went there because you had offered a, a, a thing about goals. And I was like, oh, I'm going to snag this thing about goals. Um, do, are, is there a place on your website where people can go specifically to sign up for the for the chore, the 12-week chore challenge? If you do chore, I'm sorry, if you do show notes, I can send you a link that goes straight to the chore challenge. Otherwise, oh, awesome. if you go to the blog, 
all the entries at the moment are about the chore challenge and you can sign up for it at the bottom of any one of Awesome. Okay. So I we will do both things. Listeners, uh, you can do what KJ just said, or you can simply click the link in the show notes. Um, so that's cool. Uh, KJ is also on Twitter at KJ Delantonia. And she's on Instagram at KJDA. It's really, I've had so much fun connecting with you over there. And while you're out in the social media world, please connect with me. I'm on Twitter at Stone Age Techie and Instagram at We Turned Out Okay. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening to KJ and I. It means so much that you listen, that you share, and that you subscribe, because that means you're getting something out of the show. And that's what really, really matters to me. So thank you. Um, I also have a special thanks today to our producer, the man who is working right alongside me to let the children clean up their own messes, which is sometimes easier and sometimes not so easy. The 19-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want a date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Derp, 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 derp,